TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Welcome to The Permanent Record. I'm Josh Spickler, Executive Director, Just City. We're a nonprofit criminal justice reform organization based in Memphis, Tennessee. The Permanent Record is our podcast about the criminal justice system and how we can work together to make it work better for everyone. This episode is kind of like a dream come true for me. I listen to uh, a whole lot of political podcasts, unhealthy number actually, daily, weekly, local, national, doesn't matter to me. Uh, I love listening to people talk about politics. So election seasons like the one we're in right now are like uh, Christmas morning for me. So since we do have this podcast and I'm the host, I thought I'd try to recreate that uh, in Memphis. So there aren't many people in town who have seen more politics than my first guest. I've often joked that uh, there must be two of him. I see Bill Drees everywhere. I see him when I'm driving down the street. See him at County Commission. I've seen you in the produce section at Kroger once, I think, Bill. He's been covering politics for the Memphis Daily News since 2007. He's a regular panelist on WKNO's Behind the Headlines. All told, he's been covering Memphis politics for 42 years and counting. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. And also joining me is the newly installed columnist and custodian of Memphis' most read daily email, the Commercial Appeals 901, Ryan Poe has been covering Memphis City Council and Shelby County Commission and all things local for the last uh, three years or so. Uh, while he probably can't talk Wyeth Chandler like Bill can, uh, he's certainly uh, gone toe-to-toe with the Stricklands and the Luttrells in the past few years. Uh, so welcome, Ryan. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks so much, guys, for making this, uh, making this possible for me. So let's get uh, right to it. We're recording this on the Friday before the Thursday election, and the mayor's race is kind of heating up. Even this morning, Ryan, you... Uh, uh, talked about this flyer that's gone around. Is this is this race dirty? Is this a dirty mayor's race? I I don't know that I would call it dirty generally, but yeah yeah. There's there's a lot of lot of uh, mailers like this one you mentioned today. Um, you know it, it shows uh, a Democratic candidate Lee Harris with his skin darkened, Photoshop darkened. Right. Um, and you know I mean that's that that is a dirty. Uh, thing possibly, right. you know. I mean, it could be a mistake. You know, I'm not ruling that out, but but yeah, it's it's uh, it certainly doesn't look good for Lenore's camp. Bill, you've seen a lot of mayors' races. Is it dirty? Uh, not the dirtiest that I've seen. It it gets dirtier than this. Uh, but um, it it didn't start out this way. You started with two candidates uh, here, David Lenore and Lee Harris, even before the primaries, um, who who really were talking about different approaches to government, but what they both had in common was that they both agreed that uh, some things need to change in Shelby County uh, on a pretty large basis. They obviously had differences about the nature of that change and the extent of that change, but it looked like that's where the race was going, and as we are less than a week from Election Day, that's not where the race has gone. Where is the race going? What are, what are the issues to, to, to you guys that are defining defining this race then? I think the issues are uh, economic equality uh, and what that looks like in Memphis and how you approach that. Uh, whether it's a disruption of the status quo or whether it's an expansion of the status quo to to include more Memphians in it. I think that's the most basic difference that I've heard between the two candidates. What do you think, Ryan? You get a lot of feedback from your reporting. Mm, yeah, I, I agree completely with Bill. I think that 
Yeah, Lee Harris has presented this uh, idea of change. He wants to see new, uh, innovative kind of ideas. Uh, David Lenore has been less um, eager to embrace that kind of change rhetoric. Um, and so, I, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's what it's going to come down to is, is do people want um, what they had under Luttrell, uh, which is kind of Lenore's been groomed for that as Luttrell's successor, or do they want Harris, who's going to be, you know, bringing new? What, what can these guys really do anyway? Talk, talk to me about the, the power of a county executive in this, in this county government. How, how much can they really impact? Which of these issues can they impact the most? Well, the county mayor, compared to the city mayor, does not have the, the powers or the autonomy that the city mayor has. And, and, and that's not a, a function of who holds the office. That's a function of the charter and what the right. charter says right. about the separation of powers. Uh, the, 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 the mayor, the county mayor is, is actually more beholden to the Shelby County Commission than the city mayor is to the Memphis City Council. So that's probably the most basic difference that I see in, in, in the two. Yeah, but yeah, ultimately the mayor does have a lot of power, though. He, he uh, does control contracting, uh, which is huge. Uh, although the commission will indeed make his life hard if he does not comply with their wishes. Um, but, yeah, so the, he, he does have power. It, it is an important position. So with the, the mayor and the county commission go, um, they, there's some tension. Uh, and I, I suspect there, there probably always will be. Um, I want to talk about the county commission balance of power in just a second. But, like, how much of that tension uh, and, and sort of lack of really power by the county executive how much, uh, I mean, that obviously carries over because, as you said, Bill, the charter, mm-hmm. that's nothing to do with who's the mayor. Uh, but but these these tensions about, you know, who can hire lawyers for who and all this, how much do you think that carries over re- regardless of who wins? Uh, I, it, th- there's an open question about whether that happens simply because uh, once the votes are counted, regardless of who wins the, the 13 races for the commission, we will have at least eight new county commissioners. So there will be a new majority on the Shelby County Commission, along with a new mayor. So there's a chance here to, in effect, hit hit the reset button on this relationship. Right. right. Do you think that'll happen? I, I I think that they will start out as as not considering each other enemies. We will see if that changes. I, and I, I kind of disagree just a little bit. I, I think that it might depend on who gets elected. Um, I think you will probably see more. The Democrats could pick up more seats on the commission, and if they do and Lenore wins, I think there would be more of a loggerhead yeah, yeah. there. But, um, but yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I do think Bill's probably going to be right. I think it's going to be a reset generally on most of those kind of those long-term issues, you know, sure. like the hiring attorneys right. and all that. That's going to be gone. Well, talk to us about that, uh, those eight eight seats and, and the balance of the county commission just just give us the background on what's about to happen yeah so so one of the big races to watch is tammy sawyer's race in district seven um against where she's running against sam, sam goff who is uh, an evergreen resident there um she she you know seems like she's in the she's the front runner in that race um another race is district one terry Rollins' old seat um raquel collins i believe is uh, running there against amber mills uh, that's another one the Democrats could potentially pick up. Um, but yeah, that's those are those are kind of the two I'm I'm really watching. That there's also the District Five seat, which is the seat that's now held by 
Heidi Schaefer, who is a Republican, who is the chairwoman of the commission currently. Uh, the interest in this race is what's been happening in early voting. Uh, mm-hmm. we, are, we are doing this on the uh, next to last day of the early voting period in advance of the August 2nd election day. And the early voting by county commission district shows that Democrats and Republicans are just about even in their turnout in county commission district five. So that will likely be the county commission race that will determine uh, what kind of majority the Democrats have. It looks like the Democrats will will probably, probably keep their seven-seat majority if uh, Schaefer's District 5 seat goes Democrat. It's an eight-vote majority. Hmm. And um, so talk a little bit about the, the, the impact of, of the, the efforts by Democrats nationally and statewide, in particular with the Bredesen uh, black race. Uh, Bredesen Blackburn race. Um, how much does that play out? And have we seen any of that in the early uh, early numbers? To, to me, it seems like the early voting numbers being down sort of is is an alarm bell for those folks who who would expect a blue wave, so called. Well, Bredesen and Blackburn, e- even though they're running in separate primaries, they only have token opposition. Right. So so that race has really already gone to the general election campaign right. effectively, which is on the ballot in November. The race. That the, the other statewide race, I think, is more the one that's having an impact, and that is the Republican primary for governor, mm-hmm. where you have this this slugfest among the four Republican candidates there. Um, that seems to be having an impact on, on early voting uh, in terms of maybe a sluggish Republican response right out of the box in terms of voter turnout, because a lot of Republicans seem to be really deciding who they're going to vote for for governor and and are having a pretty difficult time making that call given given the flurry of activity among the four Republican contenders. Talk about a dirty race. That's that one is uh, man. They they they're really going at it right now. Um, the attack ads just every other day. It I seems know. like they're coming out. So and what do you think, right? I mean, what do you think yeah. about that race? I mean, it's a. I, I think there. What's going to end up happening is it's going to put the Democrats in a better position during the general election. Um, I think they're they're uh, the current Republican candidates are attacking each other. They're bringing everything, you know, laying it all on the table, as it were. And I think people are going to get soured on some of those candidates as a result. And I think that's going to be good for the Democrats. I, I think the story in, in the Republican pack has been Bill Lee, mm-hmm. businessman in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, who has never run for anything before, and he chooses a statewide race <laughs> in Tennessee for his first race. And the most expensive statewide race in state history, uh, right? Yes, uh, I, I would not doubt that at all. Um, and, and Lee has been a real game changer in the race, especially with Beth Harwell, the state House Speaker, getting a late start on her campaign. You think he pushed her out, kind of? I, I don't think he pushed her out. I think that they both have, have had the same idea because Harwell has been running a very different campaign than Randy Boyd and Diane Black have as well. But but it, it certainly didn't help her that she was in session while much of this yeah. was, was unfolding and, and really couldn't get out there and campaign as vigorously at, as they are. But, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, and, the Republican race for, for, for governor, um, it kind of mirrors what happened in 2010. We had three Republican candidates eight years ago. 
and they went at each other. It was very hard fought, and there were questions about who is the real conservative in this race then, too. The difference was there seemed to be a boundary among those three candidates, Bill Haslam, Zach Womp, and who is the third, Ron Ramsey. Right. Uh, there was a there was a line that they didn't cross, even though it was a hard fought campaign. There, if there is a line in this primary race, I don't know where it is. <laughs> um, this is uh, Shelby County still has, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the most Republican votes anywhere in the state, any county in the state. I would expect, um, and the largest Democratic base of right. a single county in the state as well. So that that makes us pretty unusual. Yeah, and so yeah, it does. And so, you know, to the, I guess the original comment or response to this question, you know, this governor's race or this governor's primary in the Republican Party could have the effect of turning out more, more Republicans in Shelby County and, and significantly impacting, like you say, uh, District 5 in the county commission. And, and it could impact the, the, you know, the Democrats' effort to take the county commission or at least it enhance their majority in the county commission and take the mayor's seat, Yes. Yes, yeah, that, yes. That, that's why Democrats wanted such a, such a big turnout in the May primaries, because they knew the Republicans were going to be coming in August to decide this race uh, for governor or, or this primary race for governor. Yeah, I, and I'm wondering, I'm, I'm still waiting to see whether the Democratic, uh, you know, blue wave and the Republican red wave or whatever you want to call it, kind of balance each other out or whether one gets over the other. You know, I think that's, that's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. What about the sheriff's race? Um, this is one of particular interest to, to me and, and hopefully folks who, who listen to this podcast. But, um, you know, if uh, Floyd Bonner, who's the Democratic uh, candidate, uh, wins, he would be the first African-American sheriff, uh, I believe. For first African-American elected, elected sheriff. sheriff. The first African-American mayor was Otis Higgs, who was appointed. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. sheriff. He ran for mayor, too, but I, I get my races confused <laughs> after all these years. But uh, Otis Higgs was appointed Shelby County Sheriff ah. after the death of Jack Owens. See, that's uh, the kind of that's the, that's why you're here, Bill. Like that. <laughs> I've heard more people say first African-American sheriff. And I, I figured if anyone would know. So Otis Higgs, who later went on to be a criminal court judge, actually, I practiced in front of Otis Higgs. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, uh, so. The first elected African-American sheriff would be uh, Floyd Bonner running against Dale Lane, who uh, is, again, I think, you know, pretty squarely in the Luttrell Lenore model of, of Shelby County politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, does race matter more in that race, less, about the same? What I mean, is it a, is it a race race? <laughs> to, to me, the interesting thing about the sheriff's race is, is always where the various factions in the department right. line up. Yeah. That, 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 for me, is more central to who gets elected than race because those deputies drive a lot of campaign work in behalf of those candidates. The, the candidates for sheriff always have the biggest crews, yeah, if you will, with them, that, that, and, and they, they abide religiously by, by wearing the campaign T-shirts everywhere they go. Their yard sign game it, it, it is always in, in overdrive. Um, they take a very active part in the campaign, and and there are factions within the department just just waiting every four years to emerge for that race. Very clearly, Ryan. Do you have do you have a sense of those factions? I, I have not I, about the factions. Uh, Bill might know more about uh, where they're lining up. I personally, though, uh, I, I haven't seen as much of that kind of racial um, difference come mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. come to fore uh, in that race. I. I think it's been more about issues, but and, and roughly on issues, they're kind of this kind of similar, frankly. Yeah, there hasn't so, been a, 
Yeah, it, it might come down to whether they have the D or the R by their name. Yeah, the the sense I get is that it, yes, Bill, there are there's a lot of discontent in that office, but I think probably every election cycle brings that to the forefront. It, yeah, that's that's the nature of uh, of the of the sheriff's department. It's it's a a different kind of internal politics than the Memphis Police Department has. Right. I know you've probably both followed obviously the Department of Justice oversight of juvenile court, which the sheriff's office has a role in because uh, the sheriff uh, runs the juvenile detention facility at juvenile court. Um, you know, both of these candidates uh, a couple of weeks ago at the forum that I moderated said that they didn't did not think that oversight should end. I mean, what do you guys have insights into into that issue in the sheriff's race? Um, it, it's it's not been, and this is to my surprise, as big an issue as it has turned out to be in the race for mayor. Uh, yeah. The race for mayor ha- has been a particularly, I think, instructive discussion between Harris and Lenore ab- uh, about this. And, and I don't disagree. Yeah. So I yeah, but I I don't think the um, as far as just what juvenile you know whether juvenile court has been is in the minds of voters though. I don't. I don't get that sense. I don't hear a lot of questions. You know, I'm. I'm sure you're not yeah. happy to hear that, and and neither am I. But I'm not. Uh, I'm not yeah. And it just baffles me. And, and you know, just last night I was at a new Memphis Institute event, and some. It was a panel, and one of the questions was about the poverty report that came out earlier this year that sh- that said something like 47 percent of kids in uh, in Memphis live in poverty, and and I made the point. Uh, that 99, almost 100% on any given day of the kids in juvenile detention are African-American. And so these are two issues that impact kids, and particularly kids of color, in a way that is almost mind-boggling if you think about those two numbers. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, the questioner asked, you know, why don't we hear our, our candidates talking about these things? What You guys, what I'm, is your response to that? I, I'm kind of surprised that, that it hasn't turned up more in the county commission races because the county commission uh, – Basically, the Democratic majority there amounted to the shock troops on this issue when there was the first attempt to to drop Justice Department oversight. The county commission was all over it, and 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 Luttrell was was pretty vocal. He was certainly more vocal at the outset than Dan Michael, the juvenile court judge, and Bill Oldham, the sheriff, were in saying, yes, this is why we think the oversight should end. So you had a really good discussion between Luttrell and the Democratic majority on the commission at the outset of this. And, and, and it was a heated debate I remember as well. I was there. <laughs> uh, but it really hasn't surfaced in the county yeah. commission races. In the sheriff's race, uh, there have been more questions about immigration policy right. than, than there have been about juvenile court. And, and that's probably because juvenile court's problems are kind of hard to reduce to a yeah. soundbite. And, and, you know, immigration, I mean, that's something people are kind of familiar with. It's easy to you know, you know, come, come down hard on one side or the other of that. So I, you know, I, I think that's what it comes down to is just complexity. Yeah. And the, and the, the court is, is quick to point that out as well, the juvenile court. Um, so there's a, here's a, here's an insider journalism question that probably you're going to dance around, but what, what do you see in here when you're reporting during a campaign season that you can't write about? Cause it's a podcast, remember? And like, we have like five listeners, so you can say whatever you want for, (laughs) for me, it's it's the evolution of candidates, uh, how candidates change. That that's kind of what I'm looking for anyway. You know, it, it, if you the what the way I cover this is by going to as much as I can possibly go to to the point that by the end of the campaign, I usually know the candidates' speeches uh, 
by, by heart, probably. But by heart, and and, oh, how awful. and uh, well, it it ha- it has a useful purpose though, because what I'm looking for in becoming that familiar with someone's stump speech is what they are adding or subtracting from it during the course of a campaign, and the evolution is something that you can write about as it's happening, but it it I think it makes more sense if you write about it at the end of the campaign. Hmm. Interesting. Ryan, what do you see and that you can't write tell us about every morning? Uh, you know, I mean there there are some things I I, I don't know that I can't write about, you know, anything, yeah. but uh there there's there's one uh, one case comes to mind. I remember when uh uh Mayor Jim Strickland was elected. He was back in the back um kind of waiting to hear the election results. Got the election results and he got a call from a pretty high elected official, I won't name who it is. Huh. And uh and he he rejected it. Uh, because and did you watch this happen? You could like see <laughs> yeah. him press like press deny. Yeah, I, I did, I did. I watched it, and uh, that's amazing. And 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 the reason was because the other person had uh, had maybe said some uh, had had not come out as strongly for him or come out against him actually in that race. Uh, so I mean, you, you see some of that, yeah. you know. And there's there's some interesting things going on. Maybe don't rise to the level of a you know a big story or anything, but it's. It's, it's, there's a lot of interesting tidbits. There are also moments that make a lot more sense further down the road. You might mm-hmm. you might see something like that happen. Uh, I, I mean, for me, and and I wrote about it at the time when, when Willie Harrington ran for mayor in, in 1991. Uh, and then Congressman Harold Ford Sr. came into the campaign toward the end. Uh, there was there was a lot of drama backstage because their personalities hmm. really clashed. They were there for a common purpose to get Harrington elected, but they didn't get along with each other at all personally. They were two very different styles, and and Ford wanted to be involved in the campaign earlier than he actually was. Hmm. Let's let's talk about the city mayor for a second. I mean, Mayor Strickland uh, is facing uh, running for reelection presumably next year. Is that right? Yes. Yep. So, and you know, Paul, we're still a week before our, the election that I brought you here to talk about, and I already want to talk about the next one. <laughs> but, but what is? Uh, I mean, I've heard names floated about as a challenger. What's the current state of that that uh, uh, gossip in, in the city mayor's race coming up next year? Well, I, I think for me, I've, I've heard a lot of names, but I, I don't haven't heard any real strong commitments from from reasonable, you know, qualified candidates. Um, Harrington is the big question right now. Will William Harrington get back in the race? Um, and I'm kind of doubtful that he will, uh, for a number of reasons. But I, I um, but I, I think that's kind of what everyone is waiting on to see how likely it is that he gets in the race. Have you heard anything, Bill? Uh, I I think you'll have at least one city council member who will look very seriously at the race. Maybe maybe more. You will also see some of the people who lose on this election night. Uh, coming up, who will resurface either in the mayor's race or in some of the city council races as well. So Mayor Strickland, you know, in office since, what, 2015, I guess, uh, a moderate Democrat has, um, you know, has had some successes, has had, uh, you know, this pragmatic approach to city government that he's taken. He can point to a lot of metrics that show things are better than when he took took over, Um, you know, a a white mayor of a, a overwhelmingly african-american city what's the composite of the person who successfully challenges him if that's possible i think it's someone who doesn't go for the throat so to speak on brilliant at the basics i think it's someone who 
lays out a a vision that's not necessarily the opposite of that, but someone who nevertheless has has a different a vision. yes and candidate yes. maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about what do you think, Ryan? I, I think Strickland has has like you said he he's focused on the basics. Well, I th- actually, if I yeah. sorry to interrupt, but genius I think was the word you used well, just yesterday so morning in I, your column. I, I said <laughs> what. Strickland's genius was was that he had hired the right people for the right seats mm-hmm. um, and had kept them accountable with data, which mm-hmm. I, I think is true, and I think any mayor in the future is probably going to follow that model. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I, yeah, but on Strickland, I, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think he's, he's kind of maintained this, this base kind of um, policy, and I think that's upset a lot of people um, who want more from their mayor. And I think there's an opportunity for someone to step into that gap and say, I will give you more. And unite those those people. In what areas, in so, particular, would you point to? Well, uh, for criminal justice, for one, I think there's a lot of um, uh, uh, people who are disappointed with the administration's response to protests, to to Black Lives Matter, and a number of other things. Um, that that's one. I, I think that there's a, a you know another one would be his response to employees and retirees. There's that camp that uh, Mike Williams kind of was the right. champion of for the last election. Um, you know, I, I think there are a lot of a lot of those kind of people who have been disenfranchised a little bit about by what's been going on the last you know twelve years in the in city hall, right. and uh, and there's an opportunity to unite that coalition, those yeah. coalitions. Um, so you guys are both obviously over the past few minutes, you know, deeply uh, into politics and journalism here in in the in the city. So we have to talk about the Daily Memphian, the the, the big news that's uh, coming out of. <laughs> journalism and media in Memphis. Uh, so set that up for me, Bill. Uh, you're the closest to it. So tell us what the Daily Memphian is and, and what's coming. The Daily Memphian will be an online-only news outlet uh, seven days a week. Um, it will, it, it, it's being birthed, so to speak, out of, out of the work we've done at the Daily News and with our weekly The Memphis News over about the last 15 years. It's kind of led to this moment of trying to do this online uh, news outlet uh, that's going to have a much bigger staff, uh, staff of about 25 and counting at, at this point. And uh, we mean to be the, the dominant news source in the city. Yeah, well, Ryan, you work for the previous dominant news source in the city, The Daily, that mm-hmm. is now owned by the USA Today Network. Uh, and you're, you've been for the last few years in the middle of a contraction of for-profit uh, journalism. Can non-profit, I mean, the, 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 the Daily Memphian is supported, I think, philanthropically. Um, is that correct, Bill? Yes, it, 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 is, it is a not-for-profit, but there will also be a paywall. There will be subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, 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 will, there will be various other efforts. Uh, the money that's been raised is to basically get this thing started. Yeah. Uh, the paywall and other revenue sources, uh, including advertising, would sustain it. So, so Ryan, you've worked in a in a in an industry for a, a organization that has a lot of those things in place already, but has a for profit model. Uh, can this work? What are your thoughts from seeing the inside of where you've you've been? I, uh, yeah, and I was I was talking before we started um, just with you all about uh, you know I, I hope it does work. I, I hope uh, I hope there's a new funding source that would sustain journalism, good journalism, long term. Um, I, I have my questions, my doubts about whether this mm-hmm. particular, um, you know, formula is, is the right formula. Um, I think the commercial appeal is it's got 175 years of history, and uh, and there's there's something there uh, that it, you know, I mean, I, I don't think the commercial appeal is going away. 
So I, I feel good about where the commercial appeal is, but I hope for all the best for the Daily Mafia. Sure, and I don't mean to say that your life has been a bed of roses over the last few years either because you're a print journalist and that has been a very, very difficult place to, to live. Uh, what is the biggest frustration about the, the decline in, in, in staff and, and probably all sorts of other things that I don't even know about resources that you might have and demands on you? This is the thing that I really want to get to is you guys have huge demand on you. I mean, Ryan, you write this thing every day, and we've talked about how it's like, I think Chris Harrington called it a term paper every morning. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And Bill, as, as I said at the intro, like I see you everywhere. You're just nonstop. What is the biggest uh, frustration? Is it simply that? Is it not being able to write what you want to write all the time? And um, Well, it, it, it's getting to everything that's going on in, in what is a very dynamic city. Uh, this is the only place I've ever lived, so I don't, I don't know what it's, what it's like in other cities. I, I, I know that this is the story the story of us as a, as a city is the, the most compelling story to me of, uh, of, of anything that I do, just telling the whole story in, in all of its facets. And I like doing that. Uh, the frustration is that we are still in this cycle of change, and to date, nobody's really figured it out, figured out what the future is so that there is the stability that we had when you got a newspaper on your doorstep every day. And, and it could be that, that, that our business will never be that stable again. If so, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on the road. I'm ready to take the road wherever it goes. <laughs> I love it. What about you, Ron? What is the biggest frustration about what's happened? The lack of time, I think, would be the biggest one for me. Time, time not just generally, but, but to really focus and dig into uh, meaningful stories. And I think, I think that's what we're missing. Um, I hope that there's a you know, funding model in the future that will figure that out. Um, I don't know that we've found that sustainable model yet, but I hope so. Yeah. Hope, hope soon. Well, I, didn't, I didn't warn you guys about this, but I think it's prediction time. Uh, Bill, <laughs> <laughs> county mayor's race. Well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bail on this. <laughs> Which, I'm is gonna, fair. Which is fair. I'm going to... I'm gonna, uh, I'm going to tell you that, that this election is going to be important, obviously because of who wins and who loses, but it's going to be important because this is going to be the first part of the answer of whether we have a blue wave or a red yeah. tide or both happening currently in our county. Ryan, care to make any predictions? Well, unlike Bill, As a columnist, I'm no longer a reporter, right. so let me preface it with that. But uh, So, yeah, I have a little more leeway. Um, yeah, I, I, if I was... A betting man, which which I am sometimes. I <laughs> I would probably bet on Lee Harris winning the mayor's race. Hmm. Um, I would, you know, and the, and the commercial appeal endorsed him, uh, you know, for the reason that uh, they think there's a there's a wave of people who want innovative things, and I th- I think he he will bring that. I don't think David would be a bad candidate. So I, I think uh, you know either of them could win it. Yeah, but yeah. Lightning round back to you then, Bill. So Lee Harris wins the county mayor's race on August 2nd. What do you think that portends for um, for the governor's race in Tennessee? Can a Democrat win the governorship in Tennessee? A Democrat can win the governorship in, in Tennessee. It depends on how, how wounded the Republicans yeah. are after this fractious primary race. There's also a bit of history involved in this. Uh, since 1970, when Winfield Dunn was elected governor, uh, Winfield Dunn, a dentist here in Memphis, uh, the the governors who is elected governor has always gone Democrat Republican Democrat Republican and when we got into the two term limit that held you know whoever was the governor got elected to a second term um, 
if the, the, the Republicans want to change that trajectory and go from a Republican governor to another Republican governor, and the Democrats are arguing, well, that's fine, you go ahead and try, but momentum is on our side and history is on our side. We'll see. Hmm. We'll see. Wow. Well, thanks so much, guys. That was more more fun than it should have been for me. I'm embarrassed how much fun that was. I, I should have probably paid you guys to do this. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Ryan, sure. uh, for spending some time with us talking about this election. If, if it were up to me, we'd do this for another three hours, um, but it's not up to me. So, uh, so follow both of these guys uh, for the latest in the closing days of the campaign. They're both active on Twitter, Ryan at Ryan Poe. That's P-O-E, last name. Uh, at Ryan Poe. And of course, uh, you can read him every single morning, somehow, every single morning. Uh, week- weekday morning. Every weekday morning. That's correct. Sorry. Every weekday. I have that written here, actually. Every weekday morning on the 901 Retro Inbox from the Commercial Appeal. Bill tweets for the Daily News at, at TDNPOLS, TDN Polls. Uh, and seemingly, you write nonstop for the Daily News. You're soon to be writing for the Daily Memphian. Watch him on WKNO TV's uh, Behind the Headlines uh, most weeks. Uh, so thanks again, guys. Of course, uh, your election, your podcast election leader is the OAM Network, uh, Gil and Carla Worth, who make the podcast community in Memphis strong. Uh, we appreciate them. Uh, look out uh, for other podcasts at theoamnetwork.com. Jeff Hewlett, of course, always thanks to him. He wrote She Got Gone, the original theme music for the permanent record. I'm Josh Spickler, and this was so much fun. Uh, if the guys from Pod Save America are listening, I'm coming for you guys. Memphis is <laughs> Memphis politics podcast are coming for you this is the permanent record a production of just city we're celebrating our third birthday right now learn more about just city's work at justcity.org slash just three years that's the number three just three years you'll find a special digital version of our three-year report if you want a copy of the report email us at info at justcity.org shout out to our friends at baby grand who made this report uh, and this third birthday amazing you can follow us on facebook and twitter at justcity901 Make sure you're subscribing to The Permanent Record somewhere. Please give us a rating. I think we have 13 ratings now. Uh, ratings help us build our audience. In the Just City, we listen, we speak up, we vote. Our thanks to you for doing all three. TheOAMNetwork.com Power to the podcast.